Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey everybody, what's going on? Today is Tuesday, it's the 6th of August, 2019. Let's go ahead and get that contact info out of the way and then we'll jump in with the show. If you'd like to contact me, there are a couple of different ways. You can use the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would like to send an email or if you would like to record your own audio, and I'll get those on the show for you. The email address is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. If you go over to the website, which is firearmscafe.com, you'll find buttons for Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show and would consider supporting it financially, there is a donation button down toward the bottom of the main page. All right, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the shootings that have happened recently. I'm not going to go into details of the of the shootings or where they're at or or how many people were killed, that type of stuff. What I want to talk about though is some of the aftermath that we're seeing again. You know, I've been podcasting firearms-related content since about 2008. And whenever there is a shooting, the same old platitudes get pushed out by the anti-gun side. And some of the same platitudes get pushed out on the side of people who you would say are pro-gun or who are supposed to be pro-gun. And when you when you listen to certain conservative talk show hosts, I, and as many of you guys know, I do not consider myself to be a dyed-in-the-wool conservative. I am a libertarian as far as my political stuff goes, and I've, I've mentioned this to you guys many, many times in the past. And even with the, the, some of the platforms of the Libertarian Party, I don't necessarily agree with. But a lot of times when you listen to or if you hear sort of some of the talking points that are coming from the conservative radio hosts who are supposed to be in Gun World's corner, I think a lot of times just because these guys are talk radio guys doesn't necessarily mean that they are as deep into gun culture as somebody like me or somebody like you who's listening to this. So I think a lot of times they sort of have scripted responses but I don't know how deep their view of what our rights should be as far as self-defense, as far as guns are concerned. So again, a lot of times I think they, th- they say things that they think that their audience or that their base wants to hear. And one of the things, you know, and, and, Again, both sides do this. The The left seems to do, or the anti-gun side seems to do it a lot more, is that they want to 
blame the object. They want to have an object or they want to have some other source be accountable because it's easier to deal with. Well, if guns are the reasons, we'll just get rid of guns. If uh, video games are the reasons, we'll just get rid of video games. If uh, and, and if we look on the right, well, if it's these you know certain medications, we just get rid of this. Or if it's uh, people that we consider to be mentally ill, well, we'll just basically steamroll everybody who's mentally ill, that type of thing. So anyway, I guess my point in, in starting to say some of this stuff is that there are a lot of times when these things happen, there is a lack of subtlety. There is a lack of, of nuance when trying to look at the root causes. Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but Rogan, uh, many of you guys know who Joe Rogan is, but he had a quote and he was talking about when these mass shootings happen, when things happen like this. And he said, what we have is a mental health problem that is being presented as a gun problem. And then he said there was there was another part of, of something that he was saying to it, but I can't remember that. Uh, but I thought that was a pretty good synopsis of what's going on. And I think what he meant, and or at least when I thought about it, I guess I can't really speak for him, but when I thought about it, you know, what does that mean? We have a mental health problem that's being presented as a gun problem. And it's not just like, oh, you have crazy people getting guns. I think it kind of goes out to a, a wider uh, a wider view in that we need to look at, well, how does our mental health system work in this country? What, what can people who need help, what can they do to get help? Is it easy? Is it difficult? Is there a stigmatizing effect in saying, oh, you know what, I'm a little depressed or I'm, you know, I'm a little, uh, you know, I've, I've got these certain issues that I need and I need help with them. And I may need certain kind of medications to help me deal with those to get me sort of back up on a level playing field. It's not that the medications are going to solve all your problems or make you super productive, but at least they can get you up to the starting line so you can get in the race, you know, so to speak. So one of the things that as I was listening, kind of going back and forth between conservative stuff and some of the more liberal things, because uh, I always like to sort of listen to what the different sides are saying. So, you know, you'll listen to NPR or you'll listen to, uh, you know, some of the conservative stuff um, out in our area. And, you know, they, they, of course, they sort of stay on script and they know what they need to say to, you know, to maintain their audience. Uh, very, very rarely will you see these guys kind of go off or, or say off of script. I mean, and, and, and they'll say something that is would be considered controversial to their audience, that type of thing. You, it happens, but it's rare, and it's usually on something that's little. So anyway, one of the latest things is going back to, you know, what can we look to blame? And so some people are, you know, talking about video games. Oh, it's these, you know, video games. And these video games are so realistic now. And it, it causes, you know, all these young people to dehumanize their fellow man and this, that, and the other thing. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, most of the conservative talk show people that I've listened to are saying, well, it's not really that, but you know, they are so much more realistic now that there is, it's gotta be a part of it. Well, not, I just don't believe it again. It's, 
when when they say what it does is it desensitizes you to violence. And a lot of people buy into that, but that's not what a, a violent movie or a violent video game does. It doesn't desensitize you to violence or to uh, seeing other people killed because you're not seeing people killed. In the case of video games, you're seeing basically a cartoon getting getting quote-unquote killed. In the case of movies, you're seeing an actor or actress pretend to be killed. And I don't understand why people don't ever kind of take it to the next thing and say, yeah, that might desensitize you to watching it. it it's not going to shock you as much. But I guarantee you if you take those same people out and you show them if you show them an actual dead human body or if you if they actually witness somebody getting killed right in front of them you're going to have a very different reaction when it is an actual real in the flesh person excuse me person in front of you rather than watching something on TV or playing a video game and you know most sides just don't say that so anyway I guess my point in all of this stuff is to say try and have a more nuanced approach if you find yourself kind of falling into some of the platitudes. Try and pull yourself out of that. Don't sort of be lazy in your thinking. Or when you hear other people doing these arguments, have a, a instead of a platitude to throw back at them, have a nuanced, logical response. And can you and you could say, well, can you think of it this way? So this morning I was taking my mother-in-law to a uh, a doctor's appointment and we were talking about different things and we got onto the point of the shooting. She was like, oh, all these shootings are horrible and this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, she was, is, is probably, you know, an anti-gun kind of Democrat type person. Although... And this will be a little bit of a side. She doesn't really recognize her party anymore because they've gone so far to the left. But anyway, she's not necessarily a pro-gun person and she's not like rabid anti-gun. But, you know, she would never own a gun. She wouldn't care. Uh, like if somebody, if, if a politician she likes said that they were going to confiscate guns, she'd probably vote for them anyway, that type of thing. Or that was one of their platforms. But anyway, we were talking about the shootings, and then she said something to the effect of, oh, I wonder if the person that sold those shooters the gun, I wonder if they feel bad about it. And so I said, well, I mean, they probably do if, 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 they, if it was traced back to them. But I said, it's not that person's responsibility. He's, he's selling something that is legal. I said, do you think the car dealership feels bad if somebody buys a truck or a car and plows into a bunch of kids into a school. And I said, and is it that car dealership's responsibility? Should they be culpable in that? And then she was like, well, I don't think so. And then I said, well, what about the guy that goes to the grocery store, buys some vodka, gets drunk, goes home and beats his wife and kids? Is that the fault of the grocery store? And she's like, oh, you know, I never really thought about it like that. And I guess not. And I said, yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about all those things are things that are legal and that are sort of part of our culture and our society. So 
And again, I didn't get mad or yell at her or, you know, try and browbeat the point or anything, but I would try and talk to her about certain things and give her certain examples and be able to say, oh, well, actually it's this, this, and this. And then we can have kind of a, a conversation. Of course, it's different because she's my my mother-in-law. And, and uh, so, you know, we're family. So that's a, that's a little bit different. But then if you're talking with one of your coworkers or, you know, a friend or something like that. So let's kind of stay on this and let's talk about maybe some consequences of some of these shootings. What do we think may happen from a legislative point? We've seen things in the past and where certain firearm accessories, i.e. a bump stock, was banned. And that was done by Trump, wasn't done by Obama. And some people will say, oh, you know, uh, bump stocks are no big deal, you know, and why should you pick that hill to die on? It's a toy and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. But it's the principle of the thing. You know, I don't know. And I guess maybe that's kind of a discussion for another day. But let's let's kind of steer steer back to where I was going. I don't know if what's going to happen in the next year or two, meaning if Trump gets reelected, some people out there say, oh, we breathe a sigh of relief because a certain gun things won't gun banning things won't get through. But I do believe, based on past experience with the man, that certain things will. I would not be surprised to see in the next whether Trump gets reelected or not. Within the next three to five years is that we will have red flag laws cemented and and on the books. And then that we will also probably see an end to private sales of firearms in this country within maybe, I don't know, that may take a little bit longer. But I think things like the universal background check and closing the quote-unquote what they say, you know, the gun show loophole and all that other stuff, which basically just means it's, an end to private sales, face-to-face private sales. You're not going to be able to do that anymore. Arizona has it, or still has private sales. I think Georgia and some other places do. I I don't know all the different states that do. But, oh, and I don't have access to that stuff because, as you guys may be able to tell, I am in the truck. I don't know if I mentioned that, so I am in sort of the mobile studio again. So let's kind of jump over and talk a little bit about red flag laws. We've seen before where Trump was saying, and I think he meant it when he said it, you know, we get the guns first and then we do due process. So what would a red flag law mean? What would it look like if we had something like that in place? And what we don't hear a lot of people talk about, they talk about, oh, this would could affect the individual who's in question. But it doesn't talk much about the family members of that individual. So let's say that you have a 15 or 16 year old son and he writes up some manifesto or, or hit list type thing and it gets found out. And the next thing that, and the the first thing that you're going to hear about it is not going to be the school calling you up and saying, Hey, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, we found this out from, we found this from your kid and we needed to let you know about it. And, you know, we're going to inform the police, but we wanted to know, let you know first. Well, they're not going to do that. They're going to call the cops first 
and somewhere down the line they're going to maybe call you. But probably the first thing that you're going to hear will be, yeah, this is the police. We're coming in and we're going to search your house for any weapons. And if we find them, we're just going to take them. And you're going to say, and you say, what? And they're like, yeah, your kid wrote out a hit list. So it's time for us to come in there and get them. Now, do you think they're going to sit down and write out a list and inventory all the guns that they're going to take from you? Even if you've got them in a gun safe, they're going to say, open these things up. Because the red flag law, if it's cemented and on the books, I'm sure will give them, they're not going to have to have a warrant. Or it's going to be a thing where it's rubber stamped because they're going to say, well, time is of a, time is of a critical issue. So we're just going to go there and we're going to get them. That's what I think is going to happen. And if you resist them, what do you think is going, what do you think is going to happen to you? Do you think they're going to say, oh, okay, well, yeah, we'll wait till you get an attorney. No, you know, you're going to get tased or you're going to get thrown to the floor. You're going to get put in handcuffs. Oh, I had a little bit of an interruption there. So I got a phone call. I don't know if that came through on the recording or not, but my uh, brain's got a little bit scattered. I don't really exactly remember where I was. So I think we were talking about you know, what are the police going to do? Are they going to, you know, write out a receipt for all your stuff? And then are you going to get them back? When are you going to get them back? How far, also how far, another question is, will these red red flag laws, how far will the tentacles go out and reach? So let's say that it's your nephew doesn't live with you, but you guys live in the same town and they know that your nephew comes over and they're going to say, well, we got to go over to your uncle's house and get his stuff too. Could that happen? Maybe, maybe not. Or if you've got a thing where a kid is, you've got a kid who's in therapy and let's say they're trying to work out some depression issues or something like that. Once these red flag laws are cemented in the books, I guarantee you one of the first things that the therapist is going to ask probably you and your kid, Hey, do you guys have any firearms? You own guns. Okay, are they locked up? All right. Then you're going to have to sort of worry about, well, does this therapist, are they going to do a little bit of activism because they know better and you probably shouldn't own guns anyway, you know, with a child in the house. So are they going to come, are they going to say to the police, well, under the red flag reporting statute, in good conscience, I need to report that I think it's dangerous or that there's, it's concerning that there may be firearms that this kid could get access to. And you may say, well, they're in a safe and, you know, they don't have the combination. And if you've got, let's say, maybe a little bit of a rocky relationship with your kid, maybe your kid knows, you know, get, kids hear things and they know stuff. And maybe they figure a way to get back at you is even if they didn't have the combination to your safe or didn't have access to the keys or whatever. They can say, yeah, I can get it. I can get access to those guns. You know, they didn't matter if they're there or not. I know the combination. And even if you say, well, they don't know the combination, then that therapist is going to say, well, you know, I'm going to have to err on the side of caution. It's better in the long run if we do this. Again, once the state comes and once the state takes your guns, and at this point, if these red flag laws get on there the way that, that they want them to, you don't have any due process. You don't have any recourse. 
you can't even say, oh, you know, let me take them over to my brother's house or let me take them over to a buddy of mine. And he's got, you know, that, that my kid will never have access to. And they're just going to be like, no, can't do it. And then what does that mean? Again, not if not necessarily like you're a 19 or 20 year old who owns a couple of guns and then you they find like a, a kill list that you've got or you're you're acting crazy. And so that it gets reported and they're going to just come and it's going to just affect you because you're an adult and you're out of the house, let's say. But again, if it's your kid or your nephew or something like that, your rights are going to be, uh, in, for lack of a better term, infringed upon. And your ability to defend yourself is going to be kind of curtailed. So let's say that you conceal carry every day. Well, the police are going to come and they're going to take everything. Do you think they're just going to search your house and let it go at that? Are they going to search your cars? If, like in, in my truck, for example... I have a, uh, a safe that's actually in my truck. It's bolted down into the truck. It's got a manual combination. It's not electronic or anything, but it's got a manual four-digit four combo. And so there's so many different, I can't remember how many of the things that I think there's like 15, was it 1,000 or 1,500? I can't remember. But there's so many different combinations that it would be hard to get out. Could you, with like a Sawzall, or break or something like that or a pry bar break the plastic or that the console that the safe sits in could you break that out yeah but you still aren't going to be able to get into the safe you could take a welding torch to it but you might you know destroy the gun in the process but anyway it's it's a thing where it is secure it's it's a thick steel it's a good product uh, i would recommend it i really like mine depending on the type of car you have though they may not have one for your particular vehicle, but they have them for most most trucks and most uh, SUVs that have a little bit larger console. Uh, but I, and I like those a lot better than and this is a bit of an aside, but I like those a lot better than just having a like a metal box, even if it's kind of hard to get into. That is just maybe bolted to uh, or or a cable is run through like the seat on your car, that type of thing. So anyway. So the red flag laws, getting back to that, there is a lot of stuff about that that concerns me. You know, from activist therapeutic people to long-term, does it sort of do what the Democrats have always wanted to have happen, to where the doctor, your doctor basically is going to be the uh, protector of the community or whatever, you know, so they can, they can now legally ask you, oh, do you have firearms? Well, I don't think you should have firearms. You know, you're you're on this stuff for depression and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to red flag you. And then who, again, who makes that determination? Is it up to, ultimately, is it up to the police? So if the police, and again, if you say that somebody would have to bear some sort of responsibility, and of course, if it falls to the state, the state will never be responsible for anything. And by the state, we mean government. So that can mean, you know, police, FBI, uh, any any type of law, law enforcement agencies, you know, any type of that stuff. Um, any type of if you were getting mental health through the county or through the, through the city government type thing, you know, where it was the uh, it wasn't like private psychiatrist or, or, you know, that type of thing. If you guys know what I mean, if it's something that the county is running, they're never going to have really any culpability. 
So again, who makes that final decision? Who looks at that stuff and says, we got to go out there? Or do they just say, you know what? And this has been my experience when, when I worked in government. We're not going to try and really have any subtlety. We're just going to cast a wide net, as wide a net as possible, and we'll just pull everything in. And again, it goes back to the, well, you know, we need to err on the side of caution. And don't worry, you'll get your firearms back. And so that's another thing, too. If, let's say, they come and they, they take your guns because of your kid or your nephew or maybe you've got a uh, ex-spouse who is saying like, that you've made threats to them, you're going through kind of a, a nasty divorce, and your husband says, you know, uh, well, my wife, you know, she's a competitive shooter, and she said that she's going to going to snipe me and, and when I'm going down the freeway she's going to kill me and I, I take this serious and I think you need to go get her guns or vice versa you know you, you reverse it you know so you're the one spouse basically says that knowing that oh this will get this guy's guns taken away so let's say you have something like that happens where the police have come and they've taken your stuff well what's to prevent you from going and buying another gun if you wanted to so is there going to be some type of thing where they report to, uh, what is it, the NICS, the instant background check people in your state and then up to the federal stuff saying like, hey, this guy, if he goes in to try and buy a new gun from an FFL, don't let him. And again, a, a lot of this stuff, for, for things like this stuff to work, you have to have other things in place, meaning... And getting back to our second thing that we were talking about, which would be an end to private face-to-face sales between law-abiding individuals. So in, in reality, about the only way you could be stopped from getting a gun, a new gun, would be that all sales would have to go through an FFL. I, again, I, I, I don't know. Does it... Are they going to then require all the gun stores to submit? Right now, I don't think they do submit their records, uh, you know, to uh, to some federal database. You know, maybe they maybe they would. I don't know. And that way, they could say, "Oh, okay. Well, let's see if John Smith, you know, his kid wrote up a thing saying he was going to go shoot up the school. So let's run his name through our federal database and we'll get a list of all the stuff that he's bought over at least the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And then we can go to him. And we know, and as time goes forward, they would say, well, because there's no more private sales, if we find that he does have a gun that he, you know, I don't know, would they want to make you register them? all the guns that you have so that they know whether you've bought them through private sale or not. I'm sure the government would love to have that information, but let's say that all they were going to have was just the stuff that you had bought through an FFL. Well, going forward, let's say the red flags go in effect tomorrow and going forward, they say, well, uh, and and the um, universal backtrack law goes into effect to where now the only way you can, legally buy or sell a gun is to go through an FFL and to go through a background check. And then are they going to, like I said before, are they going to require maybe an electronic record of, oh, John Smith came in and he bought a Glock 19 serial number 539601 from 
um, DeAndre Brown and uh, on this date and blah, blah, blah. So we know that DeAndre sold his gun to John and now John is in possession of it. And so we know that DeAndre doesn't have it, but, you know, John does. And, and uh, we look on the list and we see that DeAndre still has a shotgun and a couple AR-15s and you know, blah, blah, blah. And John still has, you know, he also now we add to his list, the Glock 19, we see he's got two 12 gauges and he's got a two AK-47 type thing. So anyway, just kind of some food for thought. And um, I need to uh, kind of get moving uh, here in a second. So I'm going to call this segment to a close. And if I, I probably won't, well, like I said, today's Tuesday. This, this show will probably come out this Friday, Saturday, maybe depending on what I can get done. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of string some stuff along and kind of do some of these mini segments as the week progresses. Uh, But I would love again to know what you guys think about. What do you think or, or, is my thinking, is it going too far as far as like paranoid stuff or is it uh, going too far down the slippery slope argument? What are some other things maybe that I missed uh, that could be unintentional consequences in order for red flag laws to actually work? All right, I'll talk to you guys here in a couple seconds. All right, guys, we are back. As you can tell, I am in the mobile studio, and this time it is truly mobile. I'm not just sitting somewhere waiting around. So I think when I last left off, I was talking about sort of those red flag laws, what are going to be some of the consequences. We are seeing, as more time unfolds, you see more and more people are calling for stuff or even seeing, you know, our great and glorious orange man leader, talking about that he wants some type of background check things in or an enhanced background check I think is what is being floated and bandied about I don't really know what that means I don't know if that means uh, that they are just going to try and add more of a maybe a mental health aspect to the next check you know we're going to have to wait and uh, see on that and uh, oh like i said i uh since i am driving around hopefully the engine noise and stuff won't be too bad the way i've got the mobile studio sort of set up i've got the microphone that i can kind of talk into hopefully it won't with the way i've got it it won't pick up like i said too much of this stuff but anyway so what does what does that mean as far as enhanced background checks and usually i think what most politicians think of is that the only way you're going to be able to purchase or transfer a gun or do anything is it has to go through an FFL dealer. So right now, the way that it works, at least here in Arizona and in some other states as well, let's we'll just use Georgia as an example because I know for sure that Georgia has face-to-face sales or you could even say it's face-to-face transfer of a firearm. So let's say that somebody needs, you know, $500 worth of work done to their car. I come out, I do all that stuff for them. Uh, Let's say at the dealership it was going to cost them, you know, $2,000. I come out 
do it for him. The guy buys the parts and even doing that and then paying me to fix his car, it would be around five, $600 for him. For whatever reason, let's say that guy has four or five Glock 19s and he's like, hey, would you consider trading the work for this Glock 19? I know you're not, you know, he knows me. And I'd be like, sure, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. And, you know, and I'll throw in a couple of magazines and blah, blah, blah. And, and that way it'll do it. And, you know, I've been wanting to kind of get rid of this and I'll just, I'll trade it anyway. You know, it's kind of a safe queen type deal. Technically, he's not selling it to me, you know, where it's, I guess it's more of like a barter thing. So uh, we're using the firearm and my labor, you know, those things are getting traded back and forth. But the firearm at that point would be uh, considered or to be considered money, not necessarily currency, but money. I guess, uh, or it's a good and service, you know, it's a, a good that's being traded for a service, that type of stuff. So anyway, I think if you wanted to do that, now that stuff would be off the books, but if you wanted to do that, if the red flag laws pass and if you, and if they, and if the enhanced background goes in, I guess is what I should talk about more than red flag. If that were to happen, then something like that, I don't think could work. I think if he wanted to transfer it over to me, he would no longer just be able to give it to me. We'd have to go down to a FFL and they would then run a background check on me, you know, all this other stuff. So it will be interesting to see what happens uh, with that. One of the things that Trump had said is, oh, nobody's more Second Amendment than me type thing. And well, his actions are sort of belying that. Uh, I, I think that he does want, he, I think that his ego, now again, I don't know the guy, but from everything that I've seen and from other things that I have heard from people who have worked with him and who have known him in the past, he's a very egotistical guy. He's the kind of guy that that uh, wants to be seen as doing something all the time, you know, always successful, always the best. So I think what he is going to want to do is he's going to want to be the guy that says, hey, there's all these, there's, there's been these mass shootings and I am going to be the guy that gets something done about it. I was the guy that got rid of bump stocks, those horrible, evil bump stocks. I am the guy who is going to finally get the background universal background check done and done right you know nobody needs to uh, transfer a firearm unless they're going through a licensed dealer you know that's not a big deal if you're law-abiding you shouldn't worry about that so I see something like that happening I don't know if it will be a thing of you know, they say they always want to close the gun show loophole or, or close the ability to buy something online. Well, as most of you guys that know that listen to this, you can't just buy a firearm online and have it sent to your house. I mean, you, you can purchase one from an online dealer, but they have to send it to a FFL dealer. And then at that point, you would have to go through a background check or let's say like in Arizona, you've got your concealed carry license, you can show that, that forgoes that. Um, 
because you're, it shows that you're in good standing still. So anyway, and, and who knows, they may do away with that. They may even, you know, that just kind of went, when talking about that, that kind of popped into my head. They may say, well, we are going to do away with, we're going to do away with the, uh, the licensing. Like if you've got your CCW, you still have to go through a background check. You know, because maybe you've been charged with, you know, I, I don't know. Um, supposedly the way it's, it's supposed to work is if you're charged with a crime, they are going to revoke that license and then DPS or the police or sheriff, somebody is supposed to come in and take that license from you. Uh, I don't know if they suspend it if you're going through charges, if you're going through the court system. I don't, and again, I would have to... I would have to go look on the, I'd have to go look on like DPS website. And uh, for those of you guys that don't know, DPS is Department of Public Safety, which is basically Highway Patrol out here in Arizona. And I, like I said, I would have to go and see what their restrictions on something like that would be. So again, I don't know what stuff is going to happen. What, it, what do they mean? You never can tell what they mean when they say enhanced background check. Also, if if they do that, let's say that they're going to add a mental health component, uh, a reporting, what they call maybe like a crisis reporting or something like that. Let's say that somebody was in crisis. They were super depressed or having a lot of anger issues and they're going to a therapist and then that therapist says, oh, we probably need to make sure that this guy does not have access to getting a firearm, or at least going out and, and purchasing a new one. And so they 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 call in and they report it. It gets sent up the chain. Well, let's say a couple months later you work through your issues. When do you sort of get taken off that list? Uh, if anything, in working with a and and having worked in a governmental bureaucracy. Things are slow to move, and the person maybe who's in charge of, of uh, getting you off that list, maybe that goes into a pile, sits on that person's desk, and he or she is like, eh, these are low priority, you know, we'll get to it in, within two or three months. Well, maybe you've been cleared the last two or three months, and they just haven't gotten around to it. So there is a lot of stuff there that I have a lot of concerns with when they start talking about we're going to add this mental health stuff also if you are are they going to expand it to where if you are on certain type of medication they're just going to say no more guns for you I don't know and kind of getting back to let's say the red flag laws and talking about timelines let's say let's say you've got a, a 16 year old kid and he types up or well, we'll make it 15 We'll say a 15-year-old kid, and that person has written some weird manifesto that says he's going to shoot up the school and then burn it down and do all this other stuff. And it comes to light. One of his friends sees it or something like that and, and uh, says, oh, man, this is, you know, this does not look good. This dude needs to get some help. And he reports it. According to the red flag laws, then the police come out to your house, and like we talked about in a previous segment, they, you know, the first you really kind of hear about it is when they're showing up at your door, and they say, you know, we under this uh, certain statute, we have the right to uh, 
uh, search your, your premises, your vehicles, anywhere where we think there might be a firearm. They take all your stuff. So if you're a CCW person, you're not anymore because you're not going to have a firearm to carry. I think I said in the last segment, like I said, it's been a couple of days for me. So I think I said in the last segment that is there going to be a prohibition against you going out and buying a new gun? So keep, we'll keep that in mind. So they come, they take all your stuff. You no longer have any firearms at all. So you don't have anything to protect yourself uh, because what they're going to say is this kid may have access. Your 15-year-old kid may be able to get access to your firearm. So, and believe me, no governmental agency is, is going to accept the bad press of, even though they don't ever really accept responsibility for anything, no governmental agency is going to say, well, willingly, I guess I should say, this could always be chalked up to incompetence, but they're not going to willingly allow you to keep a firearm. I don't know if they would ever come back. So, you know, who knows if your brother gives you one of his uh, handguns so that at least you can conceal carry still. I don't know. Uh, or if if you do go out and get another firearm, either, you know, legally or through, you know, you borrow one, somebody gives you one, is that going to make you a felon because you're, in, you're reintroducing possible, you know, firearms back into the house when they've told you you can't have them right now? So anyway, let's say we'll, we'll get back to that. Let's say they've taken all your stuff. You don't have anything. The kid is, is starting to go through counseling, but he's pretty troubled. When, when do they decide, let's say, and let's say the counselor uh, a year goes by. When do they decide and who decides, who makes that final decision? Let's say if the counselor says, oh, no, he's fine. He's got this stuff worked through. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's legitimate stuff. You know, he's on uh, a certain medication now and it, it levels him out, whether you agree with his medications or not. But let's say this in this case, this is what's happening. The counselor says, oh, we're a psychologist or whoever the kid is seeing. This kid is we're, we deem him to be good to go. He's fine. So now your kid is 16 and you get the paperwork from the counselor and you submit that to the police or to whoever has your stuff, whoever's got your firearms, and they're probably going to take all your ammo too. Is it still up to the discretion of the police that, no, we're not going to give it back to you because we still feel that it's not safe? How many layers of the onion do you have to peel back before you get uh, your property back? Before you have the right to defend yourself again? I don't know, but let me know what you guys think. I know I'm kind of rambling here because I'm in the uh, I'm in the truck and I'm having to pay attention to stuff. But let me know what you guys think. What do you think is sort of the the best solution are there any solutions a lot of times we say no 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 don't do this don't do that but are there legitimate solutions to try and prevent something like this from happening you know it's not going to be just a one-stop shop it's going to have to be several different things is it going to be a thing of oh we really need to look at what medications we are putting these very young kids on and how does that affect their minds 
Also, why is it, you know, we need to look at things like why is it mostly males that are doing this? What is it that if you have a kid who is troubled, I guess, or whatever, male or female, and they're both on the same type of medications, is it the brain chemistry? You know, what, what type of stuff is going on with that? So I need to uh, pause this segment here for a second, and then when I come back, we'll talk about a couple other things. All right, so I am back now. Again, what what are some solutions you guys think would actually work? Obviously, passing a bunch of laws or banning certain things is really a non-starter because that's not going to do anything. We saw just recently where some dude stabbed like four people. We see in uh, places like England and uh, France where there's a lot heavier gun control and even in England where there's they're trying to attempt knife control people will just get a truck or they'll get gasoline or they'll throw acid in somebody you know they'll if they if they want to harm somebody they're going to do it if they want to kill somebody they'll figure out a way to do it uh, again we know that just saying you can't have guns and guns are no good is not going to be the way to solve the issue. So let me know what you guys think. I'd, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Oh, and if you want to do that, we got the voicemail, two zero, area code 206-745-2731. The email address, if you want to send that is, is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All right, well, let's switch tax here a little bit. And let's talk about something that I found uh, interesting. And while it is applying to the specific incident, is, is applying to basically people that were supporters of Trump, you could easily see something like if uh, somebody got a hold of a CCW license list if they somehow got a hold of that and published it. So anyway, there's a guy named Castro. I forget what state he is in, but he is a a Democrat and I think he's a congressman. I don't know a lot about him, but what he had done was he basically had doxed a bunch of people who were Trump uh, supporters and who had donated to Trump. So for those of you guys that don't know what doxing means in, is, is basically where they put your information out. They like will give your address or they'll, uh, they'll name what businesses you own, that type of stuff. And granted, a lot of this stuff is public knowledge. Uh, however, and that was what this guy Castro had said, well, all this information is public. Well, that may very well be, but the fact that they donated to Trump was not public knowledge, as far as I know, unless there's, you know, through, through some Freedom of Information Act, maybe you can get that kind of stuff. But what he had done, what he had done, excuse me, is he had put out the uh, a list of people who had donated to him, and it, he has said once he got kind of called on the carpet. And the interesting thing is he got called on the carpet by sort of left-wing media what was it uh i can't even remember who which station that that called the guy out on it a little bit and was asking him questions about it 
so you have to they were asking okay well what did you hope to accomplish by doing this and the guy was like well i just wanted to start a conversation of you know don't give your money to this guy and maybe it'll make people think about it and the reporter was basically saying well in this era where we're seeing that words matter and that all this this rhetoric uh, should be met basically with um if, if you look at like what Antifa does, they're saying, well, this stuff should be met with violence. And a lot of the accusations that come from the left is that, oh, all this, you know, horrible racist rhetoric that Trump gives is causing all this violence. And so this reporter was, well, aren't you sort of doing the same thing? Aren't you, aren't you concerned that you're saying that this guy is so horrible and that these people are people that, number one, support him, and number two, are actually giving him money to further these horrible agendas, aren't you concerned that somebody, since you've published their addresses or what their businesses are, aren't you concerned that somebody would go in and destroy them? And, of course, the guy, you know, he's a slimy politician, so he's never going to admit any type of uh, responsibility or, or, or stand up and uh, say, yeah, what I did was wrong, and hopefully, you know, you'll forgive me, and I've, I've learned a valuable lesson, I'll move forward. You're never going to see that. You know, these guys, again, this, the, the pendulum has swung so far to the left with these guys that they have to be super, super left, or they're going to get eaten alive by their own party. And we're seeing, you see that stuff in the Democrat debates. And you see that stuff and how these guys act, um, which kind of brings up another thing. It will be very, very interesting to see if people like, uh, oh, the squad, AOC, and what was her name, Talita Rashad or something like that. I don't know. But, like, there's those four or five women. It'll be interesting to see if the two most outspoken of them will get reelected or if the Democratic Party will kind of behind the scenes or maybe even out in the open say, well, you know what, we're really not going to support you. You're too much of a lightning rod. You're, you're pushing us a little in directions that we don't necessarily want to go. So we're going to get somebody in there and we're going to put all our money and stuff behind someone who will play ball with us, that type of thing. Kind of getting back to this guy. Technically, and this is probably hyperbole here, but technically, if somebody on the right had done this, the left's argument, they would actually probably, with as extreme as they are getting, they would probably actually say, oh, if you look at the definition of terrorism, you are trying to, in a loose, a loose basis of it, is you're trying to enact change, political change, either through uh, actual, you know, physical violence where people get killed or the threat of physical violence, the threat of harm, the threat of loss of property or loss of income or, you know, things like that. In theory, you could probably say that this guy is using, and that may be a bit of a stretch, but I think you could you could say that he is probably using some type of terroristic tactics because what he is doing, the, the underlying threat of what this guy is doing by publishing all their information and all this stuff is that you better not send any more money this way because if you do, 
somebody may come to your business may burn it down they may come to your house and and maybe you know we don't necessarily want it to happen but maybe your house gets burned down maybe maybe somebody in your family gets hurt well we didn't want it to happen you know but you know things kind of got out of hand but you know what it's your fault you shouldn't have been backing this you know horrible racist nazi you shouldn't have been sending that person money you know you're just as guilty you're just as worse you're you're um you're probably even even worse than him because you're funneling the money you're you're enabling the guy you're a collaborator you know all this kind of nonsense so uh, again, I know this is a little bit far off of, uh, of gun world, but it is politics world, and politics, unfortunately, does affect us here in gun world. Uh, who was it? Was it Pliny, uh, way back when, who said, you may, and this is a paraphrase, you may choose to ignore politics, but politics will not choose to ignore you. And we see that happening all the time with all these new wacky laws that are imposed on us and even just the things that are being imposed on us now that we have to live with. Uh, I do have, I don't have it uh, again with me because I am in the truck, but we did get some more feedback from Dave and we're talking, he was talking a little bit about, and I'll, I'll play it for you guys here. Hey Tony, um, this is Dave in Utah. Um, on your recent uh, firearms cafe, uh, episode you talked about uh, wondering about the legalities of taking a AR-15 pistol and putting a rifle length uh, upper onto it so that the overall length would be longer than 26 inches and then putting a vertical foregrip on it. Um, I mean, I guess that might be legal, but the ATF may come back and say, no, this is a pistol because it has a pistol lower and the part that is a, you know, that has the serial number is designated as a pistol and you can't put a vertical foregrip on a pistol. I don't know. I don't know about you. Like, whether or not you think the ATF should have the power that it does, um, the, the fact is that they do have the power then to, you know, convict you of a felony and take away your gun rights. Um, so if it was me, if you were, you know, if you got an AR-15 pistol and then you're spending the money to get a rifle length upper so that you can have a rifle length barrel with a pistol arm brace, I mean, to me, that's just the same as having a, you know, 16-inch barrel AR-15 with the stock collapsed all the way. So why not get a, uh, you know, a rifle lower and a rifle stock you can adjust and then you can put all the vertical foregrips or whatever you know bayonet lugs or whatever you want to put on it and then you have an ar-15 pistol and an ar-15 rifle um i mean that's that's my point of view personally i'm not interested in uh tweaking the nose of the atf or doing anything to really draw their attention or focus them to reevaluate their rules or the way they enforce things, I'm pretty good with them staying hands-off, uh, kind of as they are right now. So, anyway, that's my, uh, that's my feedback. Keep up the good work and uh, look forward to the next show. Bye. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but he was talking about some of the ATF stuff, where I was asking, oh, 
you know, I think it's okay. From further research and everything, and what I was talking about is thinking it's okay, is that if you if you have a pistol lower on an AR and you put a 16-inch barrel on there, can you then put a stock on it? And from what I can from what I can gather and looking at their regulations that they are saying and how stuff works a, a pistol doesn't matter how long the barrel is if and a, and a pistol lower can sort of magically morph back and forth between being a, a rifle and being a or, or I guess I guess in theory technically maybe it's always a pistol but once your pistol has a 16 inch barrel like with an AR then you could after after you've put that upper on first then you can put a stock on it uh, you know like a BCM stock or a, a Magpul stock as opposed to a brace you could also have a foregrip because at that point any of the restrictions um, your overall length is well over 26 inches so the pistol and rifle stuff can kind of go back and forth. And now some people out there may have different interpretations of it. And of course I am not a firearms lawyer, so I don't, you know, I don't for sure know, but it seems like from, from what I can tell, and you would say, well, why would you ever, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just keep them? And for somebody like me, I would probably just keep them. I would, I would say, okay, here's my, Foxtrot mic, nine millimeter pistol lower, or, or, or pistol upper, my nine millimeter upper, and so I'm just going to keep this on this lower that I've built specifically for that. I've got basically two pistol lowers, and I'm going to do another one because, again, like I said, I may weigh in the future, maybe get like a 300 blackout or something like that with a nine inch, um, and then have it mainly for shooting suppress and all that other stuff. But anyway, not to get too far down with that generally for me i would say oh okay well i've got a uh, regular ar-15 that is a rifle that was sort of born a rifle i'll just uh, you know keep my uppers on that um, if however you know and i've got like uh, two well i haven't built the other one yet but I'll, I'll have two pistol lowers here once i get this other one built because it, again it goes to intent and all that other stuff um, and some people say, well, and, and well, maybe we'll come back to this after we after we uh, play Dave stuff because I don't remember all the points he made in his in his uh, voicemail. Uh, part of it was, and maybe I'll in, in post I'll, I'll put it in and and, uh, and and drop in some other stuff if I need to. But some of the things you know he was talking about was well. Do you, are you, would you, would a person who would want to do something like that, let's say that if you had a, a pistol lower and you, it wasn't a 16 inch barrel, but from the way that they were saying that if you wanted to be able to have a vertical foregrip, if you had something like a 12 or a 14 inch barrel, could you then have a vertical fork grip because your overall length may be depending on the length of your uh, extension tube, the, the receiver extension tube, 
maybe that is over 26 inches and at that point it becomes you know something else for me i would not i would not put a vertical foregrip on something that i knew was less than a 16 inch barrel you know because and i think that's one of the things that he had said in in uh in his voicemail was like you know hey if the atf really wants to mess with you if they think you're really throwing down the gauntlet they could come after you would they ever i don't know i think it would be one of those things maybe where if they uh, let's go back to those red flag laws let's say that you've got in your safe you had uh put one on a vertical foregrip on a thing where you thought it was going to be covered you're like oh this is a 14 inch barrel and once i put this on my pistol or my overall length is uh, 27 inches or something like that or 26 and a half inches so i'm covered and it 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 doesn't fall under that and they come in and they take that and they're like hey what's this and they're like hey bro you can't have this on a pistol we're going to charge you with a felony now just because we can just because it will cement the fact that you're not going to be able to have guns around your wacko kid. And don't think for a second that the government wouldn't do something like that. Uh, again, they, you know, they always are looking for a chance to make themselves look good. The idea, you know, and even you, you even have people in government saying this, like you look back at what Ronald Reagan said is like the, what was it, the dangerous phrase is we're from the government and we're here to help. So... Um, you know, again, with that, it wasn't, I was, uh, it was more of a thought exercise and more of a thing of what can you do as not necessarily what should you do or what are you going to do, more a thing of what could you do. Maybe one of the things is let's say that all you could afford was a, a pistol or you'd built that first. You had built a, uh, a nine millimeter pistol, AR pistol type thing. And then you said, oh, well, what I can do is I'll just leave the, the pistol brace on there because I don't mind shooting with that. But I did want to get this uh, maybe 20-inch upper that I'm going to use for long-distance shooting. And I, I wanted to have a, you know, a bipod or I wanted to have a way to, to brace something up there. So I'm going to put, and I don't know if you can put a bipod on a pistol or not. Hmm. Anyway, maybe you wanted that vertical foregrip because you're, you're going to a competition and you're going to be shooting at longer distances. Uh, you're going to, you know, have, uh, you know, three or 400 yard targets that you're going to want to shoot at. And you're like, well, I, I don't really want to buy another whole another lower just for this. I'll just use my current lower and then I can use my vertical foregrip that I'm going to put on there. That's like a combination foregrip and bipod and maybe it's crap and maybe that's what you got uh, so anyway again I, th- I think you can and looking at the laws again I could be wrong for me I don't know that I would ever risk it I don't know that I would roll the dice again it's also one of those things of well what what dice are you really rolling who is going to come up to you at a gun range and say, oh, I think that's a that was a, a pistol lower, and I think you're doing this and that and the other thing, or, you know, so I, I don't know. Um, so anyway, I think from memory I've answered everything on there, Dave, and I appreciate you sending that stuff in. 
again, it doesn't, uh, I'm not one of those guys that is out there wanting to sort of push the boundaries uh, because I have seen, and again, as many of you guys know, I was a juvenile probation officer, so I have seen what bureaucracy can do. I've seen what the government can do. I have seen uh, not just in that system, but because a lot of times we dealt with the adult system because you're dealing with the, the their parents or their uncles who were involved in the adult system. And there, once you're in the system, and for people that don't know, who either haven't worked in it or haven't been involved in it or had family members involved in it, once you are in the criminal justice system, they can pretty much do whatever they want uh, and especially especially if you're looking at the federal system the federal system is designed and set up for them to win pretty much everything uh, you would say well how why do the feds have such a high prosecution rate well the reason that they do is the, is the way that it's set up it's set up for them to where they almost cannot fail everything is designed to be in their favor and if you say to them they're like well were you here at at 8 p.m and you're like yeah i was there at 8 and then you're and then later in a testimony you're like oh you know what i got there um at 7 30 not at eight o'clock and i just misremembered well they're not going to say no you misremembered they're going to say oh you lied to us you were under oath and you lied to us. And so now we're going to charge you with that. And guess what? That's five years in prison. So are you going to now, we can charge you with this, or are you going to take this plea deal that we're going to give you where we wanted to charge you with, you know, A, B, or C, or whatever it was over here. And you can either take the, the two years that we're going to give you. And we'll, we'll do, here's what we'll do is you'll only have to serve six months and the rest will, will pop you out on and you'll be on probation or parole actually it would be at that point you know what are you going to do and they say well we could get you for two years on this but now that you've lied to us we're going to pop you for three and it, if you actually take the time and look at it and look this stuff up with, with what the feds do um you really see that everything is set up in their favor and there is a lot of what they used to call kangaroo court type stuff that goes on where you almost cannot win and that is not you know i talk a lot about in this country that we need we need reform you know i talk uh, in some instances about we need reform of the police but really which we do but really what we need is reform in the whole system we need to look at what laws we have we need to look at how our courts work we need to look at why people are being charged with stuff what really are crimes when they say stuff like oh you lied to us because you you said it was one thing and now you're 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 truthfully remembering something different you're trying to correct the record you know, that's, that's something that is very, very wrong with how stuff should work in our country. All right, I tell you what, um, I know we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but, oh, and I'll play this one little bit more bit of feedback. 
one of my favorite authors, as you guys know, is a guy, well, I mentioned it all the time over on uh, Armed Ape. Didn't mention it that much over here, but I like him. Uh, he's a guy named Scott Sigler. I don't really know if, Scott, you would call him super pro-gun. I do not think the guy is anti-gun. I think he, uh, even maybe he doesn't line up with the, you know all the stuff that maybe you and I would line up with, but I think that he's willing to learn. He seems to be an open-minded guy. Um, I know that in his books he strives very hard to get things like how guns work and get that stuff right. I know there's there's been footage of him in the past where he was trying to figure you know, to learn about guns, and so he went to gun range. He actually had posted up a video a few years ago. So uh, anyway, I uh, like I said, I was a fan of his, and on his podcast, you know, he had a question and answer thing, and so I had sent that in, and a, and a listener uh, to this show who also listens to him had uh, sent in a little quick blurb on that. So. Uh, it's it's kind of cool to see a little bit of a crossover, so I'll go ahead and play that now. Hey, Tony, this is Jeff from Maryland. I'm a long-time listener of both your podcasts. Um, I just heard you on Scott Sigler's podcast, your comment, and I, that, what a great crossover. <laughs> so uh, that, that was pretty cool. Keep on keeping on. All right. Hey, man, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. It is kind of a fun little thing when worlds collide, so to speak. So. Anyway, I think we will draw the show to a close. I will try and get this edited. Today is actually Friday, and uh, I will try and get this out uh, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. We'll see. Let me go ahead and give you that contact info again. Voicemail, 206-745-2731. Email address, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All right, my friends, I will talk to you next time. I'm not gonna get home.